You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Good morning. So good to see everyone. Let me invite you to turn with me and your copy of God's Word to the sermon text. Still in the book of Philippians, of course, because we've just begun it. It's Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26 today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. And we have a really great opportunity in this text to think about one of the greatest life mottos of all time. I wonder how many of us have a life motto. Do you have one? Could you think of one? If you don't have one, what would be the motto of your life? You might be like one of the many people who go down to Hobby Lobby or wherever and find that sign that says, live, laugh, love, and that's your motto. Or, or Gandhi, I learned that Gandhi's motto was that when your thoughts and your words and your actions are all in harmony, that that's happiness. Or maybe you have a simple motto like Matthew McConaughey, which just wants everything to be all right, all right, all right. Maybe that's your kind of motto, but we have such a beautiful opportunity in this text to be reminded of one of the most profound and enlightening and meaningful life mottos, and that is really what seems to be the life motto. Maybe we've kind of imposed it upon him because we've we've keyed in on these words so often in the Christian life, but I don't think the Apostle Paul would have any problem with that if we assume that his life motto is contained in these words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That right there reminds us of how much power there is in understanding our lives in a concise, clear, direct way. And I think that's something that all of us really can benefit from. I need that. I need my vision of life to be clarified. I feel like it's so fuzzy. A lot of the time, there's like so many things going on in life. There's so many challenges and temptations and troubles that are coming at us all the time. And my life just can become fuzzy. I lose sense of my direction. But wow, these kinds of words give us a direction that we need to stay focused on what's most important. And that's what we want to be today. So I've entitled the sermon this morning, The Focused Christian. Because if we look at these verses, just a few verses between 21 and 26 in Philippians chapter 1, we really see that the main message of these verses is the importance of being focused in the Christian life. You think about all that we know of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. You think about all of the things that have made him who he is and have made him who he is to us. At the top of the list has to be an incredible, incredible level of focus. Focus on what matters. Focus on what will last Focus on what is important and worthy of treasuring in our hearts and his heart as we look at him as an example. And so we want to learn this morning, what does it mean to be a focused Christian? What does a focused Christian have? And we're going to see that in just three simple truths. Here's the first. We want to see in the beginning of this text and really just verses 21 and 22, the happy choice of the focused Christian. 
Now, each of these truths, as we're hearing a lot in this series, keys in on what is the central theme of the letter to the Philippians and what I think is really a central theme to the Bible. And that is how can we be happy and happiest in God? And so each of these truths will have that word in there. So, so notice that and, and get used to it. I'm getting used to it still. I'm getting used to thinking clearly about the happiness that we have in Christ and how we can magnify that and make the most of it. But notice the other part of each truth. The first is this, that every focused Christian has and needs to recognize the happy choice of our lives. We see in all of Paul's writing and his life that his focused worldview was so valuable to him and it is valuable to us because it eliminated and can for us eliminate distractions to allow us the way Paul seems to do on a regular basis to zero in on what is most important. What is the actual reality of life for the Christian And here he shows us that when he zeroes in and focuses, there are really two possible paths for his life. And you know that the Apostle Paul had a lot of time to think about his life. We've already heard about the the many times that he was in prison. Of course, he's also living in a different day, which I think in many ways has fewer fewer kind of external distractions. We have so many things that take up our, our mind space We can get on social media, we can watch TV, we keep up with a 24-hour news cycle, all of these things constantly coming in. He's living in a different time for sure. But when he zeroes in and when the distractions are eliminated and he takes inventory of his life, he sees two possible paths. One is that he will live or two, that he will die. And really, how simple is that? That's true of all of us. We, We don't like to think about that a lot. But that really is, when you boil it down, those are the two paths of our lives. Those are the two big things that every person in this room thinks about. You think about your life and you think about your death. When things happen, you see things on the news or things happen in your life or you see what happens to other people, whether it's good or whether it seems to be bad and painful, it brings to mind those two things. What is my life about? What will my death be like? Those are the two big questions, and Paul is caught between them, thinking about these two paths. And remember again, what we've considered recently, the very real and difficult reality of Paul's life. Again, all of the hardship that he went through. This is one of the things that I think for all of us, maybe most of us, if if you're not with the rest of us, then you're ahead and that's wonderful. But if you're with me, it can be hard to grasp this intense focus on the happiness of knowing Christ when so many unhappy things are happening in your life. You see so many unhappy things all around us And this is the life that the Apostle Paul lived. That's why he's such a great example to us. Because he is not somebody who lived this easy life and everything just went great. And you would say, well, of course he's a half glass full kind of guy. Nothing went wrong for him. He doesn't know what it means to suffer. He's not been through the things I've been through. But that's not true, is it? 
Because listen to what we find out about his life, the way that he, he saw it in reality, the real struggles of his life, which is really kind of summed up in the feeling of impending death for him. So often he had this feeling of impending death. I'm going to take just, just that part of a key bit of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 and pull it out so that we can lay eyes on it. Listen to this. Here's how he described his life. We are afflicted in every way, persecuted, struck down, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus, constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus. This is the life of the Apostle Paul, at least the circumstantial life. It's the things going on on the outside. So if you've been through hard things, you have someone who really knows what that is like. And you have someone who is dead set on your happiness in the midst of them. Somebody who really understands. We can, we can take his word for it. And of course, all the more we take his word for it because his word is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself. And so what we see in these verses, verse 21, listen to them. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says in verse 22, but if I am to live, he's going to think about these realities and break them down. If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do, know, I do not know which to choose. So I can live for Christ. And if I die, I'm going to gain Christ and that's going to be my gain. But if I live on in the flesh here, there will be trouble. But look at the way he sees it. He keys on what's most important. It will mean fruitful labor for me. This is the very real, often overlooked, happy choice of every focused Christian. It is not ultimately a choice between good and evil or ultimately a choice between sorrow and happiness. It is ultimately a choice between two wonderful, wonderful gifts. The life of fruitful labor by living for Christ in this life or the coming life in his kingdom, which is all of Christ and complete happiness without sin forevermore. And this is where when Paul takes inventory of his life, he finds himself, it's a weird way to put it, stuck. He has two glowing, glimmering, beautiful realities in front of him. And he's struggling to know which one is better. When he talks about it, it seems like he's in a catch-22. You've heard that before? That actually is a, a kind of cliche that has, was actually came from a book. Imagine that, being an author, writing a book, and you come up with some saying that everyone around, well, I don't know if it's around the world, but at least around the country, who speaks English probably knows that phrase by now, a catch-22. It means that you feel caught, 22, between two things, and you don't know which to choose. For many of us, when we use that term, though, we're talking about the feeling of being caught between despair and despair. 
between another way that we put it, a rock and a hard place. Two hard, difficult things. But listen to this. The rich beauty of Paul's theology, which we thought a lot about last Sunday morning, actually leads us the way it did him into a better and truer way of seeing reality. Because when the Apostle Paul, as a focused Christian, takes inventory of his life, he makes a choice. And this is the choice he makes. He insists that his life and his death both be defined with gospel hope. He is not seeing his life as being caught between two despairing realities. Either way, it's really hard for me. But rather, he insists that life and death be defined with gospel hope. Look again at the fresh way Paul looks at his situation. To live is Christ. And then, of course, he goes on, as we've said, and he defines that as fruitful labor. This is joy. This is the joyful Christian life of laboring with and for Christ in such a way that his life is overflowing with eternal fruit. That's how he sees all that he does every day. He's in a prison cell and he's thinking about his life in this way. He doesn't think about his life as despair. He doesn't think about his life as hardship, though he has good reasons for both. He sees, because of the gospel, his life as an assurance of fruit in labor, which is joy. That's the one two of the 22 that he's caught between. But then the other is to die. To live is fruitful labor for me and to die is ultimate gain for me. When he says that to die is gain, he is talking about the ultimate heavenly home to which he is assured because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for him. And he's not just going to a heavenly home where things will be a little bit better or he'll kind of, you know, you'll bide your time forever in this nice place, but really he is talking about being thrust into the ultimate happiness of redemption forevermore. That is what heaven is. Heaven is a place of perfect, unending happiness. Why is it that way? It's because heaven is a place where you will suddenly want all the right things. And all of those desires will be fully met and overflowing with joy and gladness and rejoicing. That is what heaven is. And therefore, when he sees his life to live is Christ, fruitful labor with my king, and to die is ultimate gain, being thrust into the joys of being redeemed finally and forever by my king. Paul can't lose. To live is gain. To die is gain. What a catch. He's in a catch 11. 
two singularly beautiful things. And he is caught in the middle of these two beautiful realities. Is that how you see your life? Is that your worldview? If you're like me, and I know that you are, I'm guessing it's not. That is not the way that you see life. But that is the way life is for us. And you can see life this way. If the Apostle Paul can see life this way, surely we can. It's embracing. It's embracing the actual truth at the very heart of the gospel. How did the Apostle Paul get into this catch 11? He got into it because of the gospel. It's because the good news of Jesus Christ has radically flooded his life with blessing upon blessing upon blessing, that God's goodness is constantly running after him, just as we're singing this morning. And where do we get that? Is that pie-in-the-sky words? Some sweet kind of spiritually Christian romantic writer wrote those words so that we can all feel good on Sunday morning, but the reality that we all know when we leave the walls of this building is that that is not the way life really is. So let's just... Let's just go along with it and make up a story while we're here. But actually, that is our theology. One of the things I'm really learning to do is overcome a weakness, which is not living by the truth of my theology. But to embrace my theology, to embrace what the Bible really says, to really look at it and really appreciate the truth of the gospel. Listen to these words. It's a little bit longer passage, but it's worth it. It's very familiar to you. Psalm 23. Why do we sing words like your goodness is running after me? Why are we able to see into the life of the apostle Paul this catch 11, not between a rock and a hard place, but between good news and good news? It's because of this. The Lord is my shepherd. You know these words. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's going on and on, you catching this. Certainly, goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life. And my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. That is true. Here's, here's some weird good news. That is true whether you believe it or not. We can go on throughout our lives with a completely opposite view of all of this and it will still be true. We can fixate on what appears to be bad things following us and running after us. 
We can fixate on all of the difficult decisions which seem like catch-22s. We can do that. But that's not the reality. We're not living in reality if you see life that way. Because God says what life is like. And this is what he says. He is the kind of shepherd who is ever working in spite of me. He's constantly doing these things, never becoming impatient with me when I don't set my eyes on them. I don't pray about them. I don't recognize them. In fact, what I do most of the time maybe is even complain about all the other things to the neglect of him chasing after me with goodness. But we don't have to live that way. So what should we do? Well, we should do what Paul did insist. Now, there's a key word, insist. That word means, that word is a fighting word. It means that we have to really put forth effort into this. It does not come natural to us. If you want to live like this, if you want to be happy, and I know that you do, insist. Insist that your life be defined by the actual gospel realities insist on it when the world or the devil or your own flesh or temptation and trial and uncertainty and all that it means i know it's hard all that it means to be a creature tempts you and tries you and provokes you and woos you into seeing life any other way insist say no and then say yes. No, that is not the way my life is. That is not reality. Yes, catch 11. God has hemmed me in. He is all around me. He is orchestrating everything, even the things that appeared dark at first. Insist that your life be defined by the actual gospel realities. Here's the second truth that we see from this text. It's another happy one. Get used to that. It's the happy desire for the focused Christian. The focused Christian has a happy choice. And that is how to, how to see life and, and to recognize that really the two options of life are, are being followed by goodness or being followed by goodness. And that is reality but here is the happy desire for the focused Christian. You see that the pinch that Paul feels between life or death is a unique pinch. It's unique because his choice between the two or the, the apparent choice as he's looking at them, which one should I favor? Which one should I delight in? It reveals the happy desires of his heart, the desires that God has given to him in his heart. It reveals what really matters to him. N Notice that Paul is hard-pressed in particular, and this is key to his, to his Christian happiness. He's hard-pressed between two loves, two great loves of his life. His love for the Lord 
and his love for his people. Uh, Capital H, his people, but also Paul's people, lowercase h. A love for his Lord and a love for his people. And this, this clarifies what Paul and every Christian's heart is to desire above all else. We are full of loves. Sometimes those loves become ruling desires and idols, and it gets really ugly from there. But one thing is true. Our hearts are full of loves. We do everything that we do because of those loves. But here we find the two great loves reminded to us. I mean, this really is like just going back to basics over and over again. That's what I need. That's probably what you need. The basics of loving God and loving people. You remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing you could ever do? And it's to love God. That's obvious to us. But then the second is like it. It's to love It's to love people, to love your neighbor. It's loving God and loving the people in your life. And this is where we really see it all at work in the intensity of true love. Listen to these words, verse 23 and 24. He says, but I am hard pressed from both directions. A fruitful life with Christ or going to be with Christ Because I have the desire to depart and be with him. He sees the beauty of going to be with Jesus. He sees the ultimate redemptive realities that are there. He says that is very much better. Nothing could be better than that. That's where the whole Christian life is going. It's it's progressing. It's getting better as we go to one final ending scene, which we've, we've seen through the book of Revelation where we are with him forever without sin. But then he says in verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He's thinking about the Lord and his love for the Lord and what it would be like to be with him finally and forever. But he also is captivated by something else that God has done in his heart. He's given him a love for his people. He's captivated his heart by these people. Look at the way he talks to them. Look at the way he writes to them. He's giving his life for them. He is, he's quite literally dying for them, just like the Lord did. And he loves them. This is the real work of true love. And this is where Paul finds himself. That's, that's the difficulty. It's the incredible reality. That is what makes Paul's life so difficult. I love God and I love people and I feel caught between the two desires. They're both raging in my heart. I see the need for me to minister to people and love them and care for them and to work for their happiness and their their comfort in Christ and their boldness and courage and to help them in, in their grief and all of our persecution that we're going through but I also just long to be with God. This is where he is. That's a tough choice, isn't it? It is a tough choice. It reminds me of that that moment when all of the kids are gathered around the little roped off fence with the stakes in the ground and all of the Easter eggs are put out in the field. 
And the most difficult decision is which way to run first. Because you're presented with all of these options. It's a, that's a beautiful picture of what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't give you just these, these little meager, little trinket gifts and you choose between them and neither of them are really all that satisfying. The gospel floods your life with gift upon gift upon gift. Think about those two great gifts, grace and faith, repentance and faith. The gifts that he gives to us when we come to Christ, those are gifts that he, he gives. But they are like little cluster bombs. They explode, flinging out all these other gifts from within them, all these other gospel blessings. It's the grace of faith and repentance that are going to explode later in life and all of these delights and helps those are the things that are going to help us when we're grieving. Those are the things that are going to help us when we're suffering. We're going through hard times. It's all contained in there. He's not only given us one or two gifts. He's given us a world of them. And because of that, we find ourselves with Paul when we are really focused on what matters most, caught between two beautiful things. For Paul, his secret of contentment has infused his life with joy because he is with contentment holding out his hands to the God of all grace and all blessing who is showering him with gifts and he is receiving them through this contentment and his life is being filled with joy. Remember last week, he says essentially, either I live in the happiness of Christ or I die in the happiness of Christ. Today, we see him saying something similar but a little different. Either I have the happiness of being closer to Christ in death or I have the happiness of being closer to my church in life. What a life. What a choice. And again, you and I can live this life too. It comes from gospel focus. But gospel focus on what matters most. God and his people. With heaven on the horizon... Paul chooses life because his ministry to people was necessary for, for the purpose in which he lived and ministered. He, he took inventory of all of his life and, and, and he took inventory of all the pursuits of his life. And he saw that this, this was the ultimate way to be fulfilled and to fulfill others by giving his life in this life to these pursuits. We can take a similar kind of inventory. I think that's good for us to do on a regular basis, to take an inventory of the pursuits of our life. Because like Paul, there are all of these great pursuits that have come to us in the gospel. But again, here's this, this fallen condition issue that we have that there's a whole lot of other pursuits as well. And they like to crowd in and mix together and it can make things very difficult. We need to take an inventory of the pursuits of our life and perhaps we answer this question. You might answer this question on a regular basis. Take some time, get away from life, sit down, get in the quiet and say to yourself, I'm trying to accomplish X. And then consider, 
How does that pursuit of my life connect with these two great purposes that I see in Paul's life? That right there will help to narrow down the scope and to simplify life and to focus us. Which of the pursuits of your life are actually connected to a love for God and a love for his people? Because when we get things focused, then we can see, oh, these are the better pursuits. That's what Paul does here. He takes inventory of his life and he sees what's most important. And then he goes all in on them. And it is love for God and love for people. So convinced of the opportunity to minister to the Philippians, Paul pours his life into his life. And that brings us to the third and final truth for this morning is that we can see in addition to the happy choice that he reveals to us in these verses and the happy desire of our hearts, which is ultimately love for God and people, there is also the happy purpose for every focused Christian. This focused worldview that we're really talking about this morning brings into view the very clear purpose in these verses And then in our life, the very clear purpose of Paul and this purpose, again, we're going to see it over and over again. If you just go look for it, you will find it on every page of your Bible. The purpose is, if anything, a happy one. Paul doesn't know if he will live through his current ordeal, but he sets his sights on that aim of ultimate joy in Christ as his purpose. And that becomes the purpose of his life, or it was the purpose of his life, more and more in his ministry to other people. You see it in the way he writes to these fellow believers here in Philippi and in many other places. Listen to it again. This is verse 25 and 26 put together. Convinced of this. He's convinced. He's excited. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your pride in Christ Jesus may be abundant because of me by my coming to you again. This is what he's longing for. He is convinced in prayer that I, I, I want to, I'm do everything I can to come to you again because I have some purposes to work out. Now listen to this. These, this is the value. This is the value of really paying attention to your Bible. If you ever feel like reading your Bible is boring, it might be that you're not really paying attention because there's nothing boring about it. These things are leaping off the page and we just sit here for a little time, maybe longer than we'd like, but we sit here for a little time and just look with real care at these words. Listen to them here. They're buried in there, but you can see them. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, here are three purposes, three purposes that he lived by. Your progress in the faith, your joy in the faith, and your pride in Jesus. Those are super interesting things to see. I'm going to continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your pride in, in, G, in Christ Jesus may be abundant. Your pride in Christ Jesus 
That's incredible wording to use. This, this is like a, like a, like a three-part trident. You know what a trident is? It's the, it's the um, King Triton from The Little Mermaid, Ariel's dad, who, who, who ruled over uh, the sea, and he ruled it with, a, with his trident. King Triton had a trident, the three-pronged spear. It was magical, and it could do anything. If Paul has something like a magical, powerful, three-pronged trident, it's this. He says it. Progress in the faith, joy in the faith, pride in Jesus. These are the three purposes. And these are three purposes that are just so excellent for us to assume in our lives. I wonder if you'll do that. Will you write these down? Will you think about them? Keep them in your wallet or your purse, your pocket. Put them on your your bathroom mirror or put them on the dash of your car so that you can see them. Let them become more natural to you because they're probably not very natural to us. But these are the three purposes. Let's, Let's just think about them just for a second longer. Progress in the faith. What does that mean? What what is he trying to do with these people? What does he mean when he says, I'm going to come to you again because I want you to have progress in your faith? What does that look like? Well, to put it simply, it, it means growth. It means depth. It means that his vision for the Philippians and all the other believers to which he ministered in his life and his own life is to go deeper into the joys of his faith, for them to dig deeper and to grow up in the faith so that all of those gifts that are exploding in their life become evident to them and they rejoice over them and they hold their arms out and they just keep filling up with all of these gifts to the glory of God. That is progress in the faith. That's understanding, it's understanding the gospel No one, we've said this, if we said it once, we said it a thousand times. Nobody gets the gospel. No one in here gets the gospel. You don't get it. You will never really get it. But the the pursuit of our hearts, the very best thing that we can do with our time and our energy is to try to get it. To try to get it more and more, to try to understand more and more this announcement of good news and how it has delivered to us so much colorful joy and blessing. And friends, I'll tell you, I'll be the first person to confess. I've been confessing this a lot lately as I see it more and more. I have lived, I have lived most, I have lived most of my Christian life and I have spent most of my pastoring life with a really gray gospel. It has not been colorful. It has not been bright. I have not, I have not preached well. I have not lived well in the, in the reality that goodness has, is running after us. Because you know how I've put it to people? I put it to people like this. Here's what God is saying. He's chasing after you and he's saying, you better get back here right now. You get back here right now and you worship me. You get back here. Don't you know? Don't you know that I'm worthy of you? Get back here because I'm, wor- I'm worthy of your worship. That's how I put it. That's how I've seen it. But not anymore. There's no color there. But there's color here. 
come back to me. I'm going to delight in you. I am going to change the desires of your heart to the most beautiful, most colorful and rich and satisfying desires you ever could have. And then I am going to meet them. I am going to fill your life with so much goodness. You will just have no choice but to delight in me. You cannot imagine how happy I am going to make you come back here. That's the gospel. And I have failed, but I'm not going to fail anymore. I want to magnify this. And I want you to magnify it too. I want you to insist on this big, bright, glorious good news that actually is good news from a God who delights in your delighting. It's, it's been there the whole time. It has been there the whole time to my shame. It's on every page. And here it is on this page. Your progress in the faith and your joy in the faith. This is what Paul wanted to get back to them for. Why does he want to visit them again? Because he wants to deliver to them joy. He wants to magnify their joy. He wants to make them happy. He wants to put a smile on their hearts. This is the purpose of his life. Genuine, lasting, uplifting happiness in the gospel. No matter what comes, no matter what persecution they face, they get thrown in jail again, they get beaten again as hard and painful as that is through tears and weeping and loss and grief. Their joy in the faith. And it's all wrapped up in the third purpose that we're seeing here, even in just these couple of verses, pride in Jesus. Now, if you're like me, this is where the gray comes back because there's some little voice inside of you saying, oh, 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 that's an illegal word. You can't say pride. Oh, Christians don't say pride. Pride is sin. It's always sin. No, it's not. It's not always sin. Not here. Your pride in Jesus. What is pride? What is pride? It's when your chest swells and you're you're filled with life and, and, and joy and you're interested. That's what pride is. You feel you feel renewed in your courage and you're so glad and you're so appreciative and you're so kind of enamored and you just feel full. He wants them to have pride in Jesus. It's a good kind of pride. He wants them to to live their lives in the light of what Jesus has done for them. He wants them to, to make the most of it, to take advantage of all of it, all the gifts, and to really live in it and thrust their lives into it, to forget their lives, to leave that old life behind, and to give themselves to him. I'm experiencing a really small kind of worldly example of this because I've told you this before. I grew up playing basketball. I was a really mediocre college basketball player, but I really loved it. And it was just the, it was just the desire of my life. I mean, if I've ever run anywhere, it's 
when we're going to go play basketball somewhere. Can't wait to get there. Let's get there as fast as we can and get going. I'll be there all day long as a kid, seven hours every Saturday outside on the court. I loved it. I grew up like that. It was like the treasure of my life. Yes, I slept with a basketball. Yes, I carried basketball everywhere I went, even to my friend's house for sleepovers and stuff like that. It's very weird. But that's, my, that's what I loved. And you know what was so interesting? Now that, now that Josiah and Ezra, in particular, are kind of coming up and they're, they're enjoying playing basketball and, and Josiah is now playing competitively and playing, playing in seventh grade and eighth grade, something really weird happened. It's something I never imagined would happen. As he started playing, I have been filled with so much pride that I don't care if I ever shoot a basketball again. I never thought that would happen. I never imagined that, that I would rather sit here and watch this than to go out there and participate. But that's the shift that's happened. My heart has been filled with this life and this pride and enjoyment of being caught up in the game of someone else. And I have forgotten my own. That's a kind of picture of what here is happening for Paul and what he, he wants to happen in us and them in the pride that they have in Jesus is that they lose themselves. They don't have pride in themselves. That's where it gets sinful. They lose themselves in the person and work of Jesus. And their ultimate pride, their ultimate boast is him. He is the one who makes everything in their lives make sense. As we come to a close, just hear these last, these last words from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love the way this kind of paraphrase, paraphrasing translation, the Living Bible puts it. Hear this. For it is from God alone that you have your life through Christ Jesus. He showed us God's plan for salvation. He was the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy and gave himself to purchase our salvation. And as it says in the scriptures, if anyone is going to boast, that's pride, let him boast only of what the Lord has done. Boast about what he, boast about the gospel. Be proud of the gospel. Be proud of your king who is full of, of, of satisfaction and joy and full of good gifts that he gives over and over and over again. Be proud and be happy in the person and grace of Jesus. This is what Paul's all about. Be proud and be happy in the person and grace of of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we want that. We need that. We, we need, oh man, we need our gray gospel to get full of color. We, we need you to, to shine again, this reminder. It's, it's always been in front of us. I, I have missed it. And I just pray that you would fill our lives with the color of your gospel, that we would, we would just realize anew the incredible gifts that you've given to us, that you continue just to, just to explode in goodness to us and that you're delighting to do it. You are every day orchestrating the details of our lives. You are walking with us and grieving with us and rejoicing with us and blessing us in every way and you are doing it, you are doing it with a smile on your heart. 
And so we pray, God, that you would please show us that, remind us of that. I know that we're coming, all of us are coming out of things and situations, circumstances, worries, fears, anxieties, all these troubles in this life. It's a hard world that we are living in, but, but it's a world controlled by you and you are good and you love us and you delight in us. And so I pray that you'd help us to delight in you. Make us people who worship and delight in you because of your grace and because of Jesus. And please overturn, overturn all of these things in our hearts that are keeping us back from that. Uh, we would uh, head headlong into you. Make us deep, make us, make us wide in our appreciation and knowledge of you so that we can rejoice all the more and prepare for the day when we will one day be with you and it will be happiness and bliss like never before and it will be for your glory. Help us to enjoy you now as we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.